right, welcome back to another episode of Textual Healing. I am your host, Mallory Smart, and I am joined with a really kick-ass guest, the founder himself of Neutral Space. Give us a shout-out. Hey, um, it's cool to be doing this. It's my first podcast, so we'll, um, you, get, you get to... Um, break the seal is it really your first podcast yeah yeah i i did um i did a twitch interview with zach smith on um oh i love him (laughs) yeah yeah zach's Zach's the best um that was really good uh but i feel kind of shitty i said neutral space but i know it's neutral spaces but (laughs) it's all right i i mean uh, we'll see what happens with it it's it's been asleep for about six months now so Oh, I did that with Maldon House for a while, like last year. I think it I just kind of like put stuff on pause. Yeah, I think um, I feel like these projects have two directions, and one of them is to allow them to keep developing by bringing on lots of people. So you have, you know, the mod <laughs> big. <laughs> you have websites like Hobart. Um, which have a bunch of different editors that come and go. And the Nervous Breakdown has, I think, like 15 or 20 or something. And, and so they managed kind of persistence through congregation. And then I think the other side is eventually these smaller projects with less people have to take breaks. So, um, Yeah, especially when you have day jobs and everything too. <laughs> yeah, right. Do you have one? Uh, so, yeah. So I have, a, I have a proper day job now. But um, during Neutral Spaces... I was a PhD student, which kind of allowed me. Oh, that's it. Yeah, and it, and it it was definitely the space of um, education and being able to kind of plan my own workday that allowed me to take time out of the day to edit people's pages or work on a new project or whatever. Um, so I did not say your name in the intro. That was purposeful. <laughs> it's because. When talking about this, uh, and I don't know if you listened to the podcast uh, last night, when Andy and I were discussing our future guests, he and I uh, pronounced your name differently. He said Giacomo, I said Giacomo. Oh, so you win, and Andy's not here to feel defeated. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He'll listen to the episode later. Yeah, so it's an Italian name. My grandma was Italian. I mean, she's still Italian, but she's dead, so... Um, yeah, so I, I've got this complicated Italian name that has the jazz sound with the G spelling and, um, yeah, school registers The reason and stuff. I immediately felt like I knew how to pronounce it is because my nephew was almost uh, named Giacomo. His father's Italian, uh, uh, Sicilian, but yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, no, it's, it's good. Um, yeah. The, I, I think the funniest was when Kevin had a podcast recently and said my name wrong and Zach ripped into him and Kevin didn't realize. Um, How did he pronounce your name? I think, I think he went for the Giacomo, I think, with the hard G. So, <laughs> um, I did it. I love how Americans pronounce things. We all seem to mess it up somehow. Not dissing other people, but it is funny. I mean, to be fair, I've had Giacomo probably every year of my life from various people really yeah but you know i live in the uk so i i don't think we're any less cultured than the us so who knows 
Um, yeah, probably more cultured there, but <laughs> I'll stray away from politics a little bit. Yeah, I, I, I think you're giving us too much credit, maybe. Who knows? Um, so, want to give me a little bit more background? Where in the UK are so you? So, I'm currently living in Liverpool, um, and I've been here for four years. I moved up here with my partner, Holly, when I got my PhD. Um but for people who know the UK better, they'll tell that I'm not from Liverpool because I don't have a Scouse accent. Um, I grew up in London and kind of moved around a bit. <laughs> I was going to say, you definitely have a little bit more of a softer accent. <laughs> I guess that would be the best way to say it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I mean, in, in the UK, I have what's called a Southern accent. But obviously for you guys, the Southern accent is um, a thing in itself. So, um you know what, honestly, for most Americans, you could be British, Welsh, Australian. We think you all sound the same. <laughs> <laughs> I I've um I've done a couple loops of the US and gone to different states. Um the kind of most far reaching one was back in two thousand and twelve. Me and a friend got um I don't know if they still do them, but Greyhound bus pass. Um the Greyhound buses have a bus pass. And you pay like 200 bucks and you're allowed to get on any bus you like for two months. Um, I've always been afraid of Greyhound buses <laughs> just because they look really dirty. But I've done, a, I don't know if it's a thing anymore, mini bus. Okay. They have a very similar thing. Right. The cheaper. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, um, yeah, the, the, the Greyhound buses were, some of them had some interesting conversation i had some interesting conversations on some of them but like i didn't know that i was supposed to think they were dirty so we we kind of booked the whole thing from the uk and it was great because we had like yeah. no money and we'd use the greyhound buses as like the motel room for the night so we'd finish up in a city and realize we had nowhere to stay so we just get on a bus that took around eight hours to get somewhere else um and then you'd end up somewhere new in the morning it's so interesting that like you'd choose to do a bus thing. Most people I know who aren't from America, the very first thing they want to do when exploring it is a road trip, like <laughs> renting a car. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I did it right in the middle of being a student. And I think, I think I spent about 800 bucks in two months. It was pretty cheap. I had a single rucksack yeah, on my back. Say. Yeah. So it was, it, but it was really good. And we did a bunch of hitching. Um, we, we, I think we hitched all the way down the west coast. I think it got a, oh, nice. it got a bit tough in the kind of ring around LA. People were less likely to pick us up, but then we had someone take us the whole way. So, um, to be fair, LA it's a little bit more uh, snobby, and also <laughs> they have a history of serial killers. They're taught like don't don't pick up the stranger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, and and mm. also by that point, I probably looked more strange. As the as the time, as the time of the trip went on, but um, I mean, it really depends on the year, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if we're talking like in the height of hipsterdom, you probably look just like everybody else. Yeah, actually, that that's a good point. Although I I've always had a beard and not just the mustache, so I kind of only ever got halfway to the hipster thing. Are you rocking just a mustache now? No, or? no, I've I've never done the mustache. I've Actually, I'm under strict okay. orders from Holly to not shave my beard off. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> so I think I'm going to have it until it goes. No, my grey. boyfriend has the same thing. 
Holly's reason is that she thinks I look too young without it. So um so in order to keep aged, I have to have the face <laughs> face covering. How old are you? Uh so it's, I'll be thirty in November. So I'm twenty right twenty nine oh. right now. Welcome to the club. I just turned thirty a couple weeks That's ago. That's cool. How was it? I mean, it's Corona times. <laughs> in America, we've handled it horribly, so I wasn't able to have a party. Uh, yeah. So yeah. my boyfriend and I just got a lot of Chinese food and watched Mulan, <laughs> and that was not the, the, the old movie. one or the new one. The new one. Nice. Uh, the cinematography was nice, but. You know, growing up with the Disney movies, you immediately are like, yeah, they're going to break out in a song soon. And like two hours later, you're like, it never happened. Mm. I haven't I haven't gotten to watching any of the live action remakes. They did The Lion King as well, right? They did The Lion King and Aladdin. Oh, yeah. Um, I watched parts of Aladdin. Um, I think I said it in our first podcast, but I didn't really go too much into detail. When my boyfriend and I watched the first Aladdin, that's when I actually had coronavirus, but we didn't know it yet. And I like could not stand it. I was like vomiting and <laughs> I actually threw the controller at the TV <laughs> at one point. I was just like, turn it off. Like, God. Yeah, it's probably not a good so, mix, but who knows? Never finished it. I don't think it was missing much. No, I don't think it's worth going back to. There's probably a better film to start. <laughs> But yeah, let's talk a little bit about neutral spaces. I think that's a great way to start just because I feel like you created something really great. Yeah, so, I, I feel like that's yeah. probably how most people on the internet, if they do know me, they probably know me from neutral spaces before anything else. I mean, you are published a lot too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so. I I, I don't know. Neutral spaces is funny but, because... um. In a certain sense, I'd say out of all of the things that I've done, it had the least amount of thought put into before going live. Um, I've sunk hundreds of hours into it now, but but it was it was like I think Holly had gone away for a weekend to go hang out with some friends, and I finished work on the Friday, and my mind started wandering, and and I was like, mm-hmm. I think it came from. So like I was getting back into Twitter, like I did Twitter in a huge way back when I was trying to be a musician in like, I don't know, 2010 or something. I used Mm -hmm. used to kind of like follow a bunch of people and chat and try and get Twitter attention and make people listen to my band or whatever. Um, What was your band called? uh, So I was in a band called Chronographs. Uh, We were a heavy metal band. Oh, I... (laughs) Um, I'm trying to imagine you in one. There's, there's actually, there's um, well, I'll send you a link. There's a video of me playing. Yeah, because I need a visual. Yeah, yeah. Here. So there's, there's a music video where, embarrassingly, me and the rest of the band are wearing like shirts. We're all like wearing matching white shirts, and we're playing this heavy metal song in the middle of this kind of glamorous, um, like dining room in some stately home or something. I don't know. I mean, I've seen stranger <laughs> clashes before. Yeah, I didn't. I remember a couple of years ago, I saw Father John Misty at Riot Fest, and that's like a purely punk rock show. And he was like in a white tux and everything. I was going to be like, 
Okay. There's nothing more punk than that. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that's cool. And, and the white shirts thing in this video is not, but it, I, I don't know. We'll be the judge. Yeah, yeah. And it felt like a good idea at the time. I think we were trying to trying to do something. I don't know. Anyway, so so I had done Twitter once before. And then um, at some point, something switched from me reading a lot to wanting to start writing. I don't really know. It was almost like something about, like I came back towards internet writing after the kind of first exposure of kind of bear parade and everything. And I started looking, I was like 2016, 2017. And I think suddenly it felt really um, accessible. I think I definitely, the first time I was reading people like Sam and Tao and Noah, I felt like what they were doing was relatable, but I felt dis... Would you feel like that would be like the genesis to like you begin, like beginning writing or... So, so I, I, I definitely had, so I remember like, I don't know, like five years before that, I started kind of reading a lot and I was, and I kind of got into things through the classics so it's like reading Camus and Sartre trying to learn about existentialism and I was reading like Hubert Selby Jr and learning about kind of gritty suburban stories and um like Richard Yates and I don't know so so there was mm -hmm. and but these were like books I was picking up from the local bookshop that had been published maybe 50 60 years ago um I mean, those are the best ones. Uh, yeah. so I really like that you mentioned <laughs> Camus and Sartre. I mean, that yeah, that's a college reading. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The, actually, my existentialism story is worth bringing up because it's so ridiculous. I um, I was in my first year of uni and I was just feeling miserable and depressed, which is something that kind of comes and goes in my life. Um, and I went to the university counselor and I was kind of talking about stuff uh explaining how i felt and he kind of starts chuckling and he's like ah it sounds like um you're dealing with kind of existentialist problems um and he's like it's a thing it's called existentialism and and it was kind of towards the end of the session i was and i left and i thought damn existentialism sucks i feel awful i'm <laughs> and i went <laughs> i wonder if i still got up my bookshelf uh i think it i think it was a guy called gary cox Anyway, he wrote a book called How to Be an Existentialist. And I thought, that sounds dumb, but I'm going to buy it and read it and just do none of the things he tells me to do because I'm so miserable with my existentialist issues. And um, That almost sounds more <laughs> almost like nihilism. But yeah. <laughs> well, it, so, so it was basically what happened was I didn't realize that existentialism was a way of dealing with the problems of existence rather than a kind of prescription of how to live with the miserable reality of challenging your existence. And so I kind of came into it by accident by saying that I didn't want to be an existentialist and then realizing that actually they were trying to help. They weren't prescribing the existentialist dread that I was experiencing. Um, what were you uh, majoring in at the time? Physics. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So I did, I did four years of physics um, and then I did a top up year of maths and then I've been doing a PhD in maths and physics. So I've been kind of skirting between See, the two. See, I love talking to people like you like, <laughs> who don't have the background in writing. I don't either. Um, my degrees are in uh, philosophy and history. Oh, cool. So, yeah. That's cool. 
so it's pretty neat to meet other people like because i'm always wondering like how then they got into it yeah so i I dig that yeah and and i think um it's tricky because i i mean i okay i don't know about you i'll talk for me and then you can say whether you agree or not but i feel like i've (laughs) i've moved from reading people like richard yates and then I started trying to find things which are slightly more experimental and I don't know, so like maybe David Markson and Stephen Dixon. Um, and then I started really getting into short stories and reading a bunch of that. And and I feel like the more that this happened, the more I felt like I was reading uh, university professors. So like you'd flick to the back of the book and they'd be employed at some university where they teach creative writing and um that was that was kind of who I seemed to be interested in reading, but then at the same time, it definitely has this feeling of um, a space for the educated, um, mm-hmm. and and when you know you have people winning prizes and they list their MFAs and it, it becomes it's an interesting. I don't know. It's 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 strange because in a certain sense I'm really used to this um academic gatekeeping because you don't find academic research papers in the area that I'm in from anyone outside of a university. It just doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. And I think for some of the the more um so I maybe you can say from your experience of philosophy, but I feel like most of the philosophy texts are written by people who would call themselves philosophers. But but writing has this space of of having been attacked by a kind of punk attitude of not needing to be educated in it. And um and that makes the whole ground feel more unstable and exciting as a result, I think. I feel currently the small press community is definitely like that. There's definitely an uphill battle. I mean, I feel like there's a lot of MFA gatekeeping still. Yeah. I get very nervous talking to those people because like they can immediately see right through you like, oh, you did not get the technical background <laughs> here. I think, I, I mean, considering the topic of the podcast, I feel like this is a really good space to compare my love of kind of like indie writing and small presses and zines and and the kind of relationship I have to like indie music indie in the sense of like Mm. independent rather than i don't know current joys or whatever um and same with like punk do it yourself kind of attitude exactly exactly and i think and i so okay maybe sally rooney is you know educated in a certain way and she has this amazing book deal and everyone's paying attention to her making a tv series about what she does but the kind of twitter bubble of writing i dread to kind of use any terms like alt lit or whatever um whatever's happening right now in this bubble where there's i don't know okay so using neutral spaces as a kind of gauge that has okay. two thousand followers and about 800 people on it now so there's about 1000 you're growing I love that. <laughs> I'm sorry. I remember when you were first starting and I was like, oh, I wonder if this is really going to catch on. But yeah, you did. I, I honestly thought it was going to be like 50 people, <clears throat> I think. Well, you definitely got a following. I like Yeah, that. and, and it, it's been cool. But yeah, so, so say we have a bubble of between 1,000 and 3,000 people 
I think this mm-hmm. bubble of people definitely has that. Even if there are people within it who have gone and got an MFA, I think there's a respect for people by what they produce rather than where they come from. Um, yeah, I've definitely noticed that. Um, as a publisher, I get a very interesting mix mm. of the people who don't have a respect for the more experimental writing. I've even had people yell at me <laughs> as an editor and being like, you should respect this. I went to such and such school and I have an MFA from there. And I'm just oh, like, wow. I'm sorry, your, your writing still just didn't hit with me. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. So I, I think it's really cool what you're doing with Neutral Spaces. Uh, do you have any plans to grow it even more? Or? Yeah, I've got... Um, there's this one idea I I built ninety five percent and then I and then I just I had to finish my thesis and I was writing my book and suddenly it just didn't feel important enough. But I had this idea of um, of an anonymous workshopping function where people could submit their writing um, without attaching their name to the head of the text. And people could click a button and randomly have some piece of writing that they could read and put line edits on and do a kind of overall comment and send back. And this gets communicated back to the writer without the sender knowing who they wrote about and without there being kind of any uh, contamination with the idea being that someone might have 20 minutes where they feel like reading some fiction and they can give some people some help on, on things that they're thinking about. Um, Did you announce this on Twitter already? I can't remember because sometimes I do just go and announce things and then don't finish them. <laughs> but um, I, I feel like maybe you, you said it, but I'm not sure. Yeah, I, I think so. So basically what um, I got. Cause the idea sounds so familiar. Yeah. I'm like, I think it was, you. yeah, I think I said, so, so, I developed the whole thing and it worked and I got a couple of people in to make sure everything seemed to make sense and stuff. Um, and then I realized I needed to do some kind of like security stuff, like make sure people couldn't say horrible things to each other or that you could report someone for being mean or spamming. Um, because you have to, yeah, that's a little bit more difficult. And, and and it's less about it being difficult, but just, I think I just felt bored by it. Um, <laughs> like I, I wanted to kind of make this thing and I made it. And then I realized there were a bunch of ways that people could behave in ways which would be unkind. And um, it's important for me that neutral spaces can be something that makes people happy and people enjoy. And I didn't want to create something that was going to bum people out more than it was going to help anyone. Um, yeah so i might go back to it well i might go back to it let me know i'd be into it. yeah i think i think and and i think there's a really um exciting mix of people who like i've got some like i've got a group chat with mike cavern and zach and we send each other work and talk about it and say what we like and what we think could be improved and whatever and it's good, but I feel mm-hmm. like if you could open that up to people who are maybe too shy to have group messages or feel like they don't know who to reach out to, um, 
I don't know. I think a lot of us spend time trying to get our work published, but actually what we're looking for is having someone just say, uh, I have noticed you. Like I've read your writing. Definitely a lot of validation and everything. Definitely. Yeah. And, and I think even, even getting rejected, but having someone say, I've read your thing and it wasn't right. Like I think sometimes just feeling visible maybe, um, is what, Especially if, like, they actually note something mm. within it, just to kind of, like, show that they really read it. <laughs> I, I always appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think, as I've done more writing, I've got more confident that what I'm doing feels right, and I've become less worried if someone says, this doesn't feel right. But it, like, there's been a couple of reviews of my book on um, Neutral Spaces, and... The advertising side is fun, but what's actually been really um, touching has been reading people's relationship to the poems and and seeing that they kind of exist within someone else for some brief period of time. And, and I think that's nice. And I think you get that from a letter from an editor, someone who's read your work and mm-hmm. says, hey, I read it. This was cool. This didn't work. I don't think it's right for the magazine. Like you still existed within their world for some period it's really touching i like that so back to when you like were exploring america yeah i feel like another fun thing uh i gotta be honest that's actually like one of my favorite hobbies is uh road tripping yeah and just i think i've been to almost every state so far except like hawaii and alaska and I was going to say avoided Florida, but no, I, I did go to Florida, sadly. <laughs> it was for a poetry reading. But um, what do you associate, like, because I feel like when people associate traveling to certain places, they associate, like, uh, music and backdrop. I don't know, like, because when I'm driving or, like, traveling or something, I kind of have this vibe that I'm in my own music video yeah, yeah, a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I can, I can I get that. So, like, how about you? Yeah, tr- what was going on in the backdrop of your mind? I'm trying to think. Um, I think I... So, I, I've done road trips in various forms through the States now three times. And I think mm-hmm. um, the reason I keep getting drawn back is because so much of the art and culture that I ingest and relate to is American. Um, I'm aware that there are aspects of uh, what is happening in America now that I currently disagree with in the same way that I disagree with a lot of what happens in the UK. But if I think about the writers and musicians and painters who I really connected with, these people are American. And, um, Mm -hmm. And I think when I've been given the opportunity of spending time in America... I've had a really, it's not nostalgic, but it, it feels like, um, it feels like maybe sentimental. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it it almost feels like visiting a friend, I suppose. Like, um, I like that. Like, like maybe, maybe it's the kind of equivalent of having a pen pal and then going over and, Mm -hmm. and meeting them. Like, I don't know, silly things. Like if you spend five years of your life, reading every book you can find about the kind of New York suburbs and then suddenly you're there 
on the trains going in and out of the city and seeing things and staring out the window and going through the motions of all the things that you've read about. I, I just feel like it's... um. Like, have you read Paul Oster? Uh, no. So he's he's a writer that my dad really likes. Um, and dad, I think, has pretty much every book he's written. And about 10 years ago now, probably, oh God, more. <laughs> okay, a long time ago, I remember I went out to see my dad in Italy for the summer and I just read every Paul Oster book he had back to back. And I was mm-hmm. like totally obsessed and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And, um, and, and that kind of deep immersion within, within that kind of space it then creates, I don't know, it, it turns New York and I know, like he, he, he basically writes stories about being a writer in Brooklyn and doing stuff in Manhattan. It's kind of stuff like that, but it, it turns, it turns the city into something which is less like a place and more like a place you've already spent time in, I guess. And I think... Yeah. I'm looking into him right now. He wrote something, the New York trilogy. Oh, so I, I really recommend that. Although I'm recommending yeah. that from from like a 12-year memory. But I, I think it's really good. Um, Although I'll check that out. Yeah. And there's... um, I'm looking at what, what have I got on my bookshelf. I see I don't have most of the books because I've read them elsewhere. I've got Leviathan as well. I think Leviathan is about... I feel like one of the characters in Leviathan is based off the artist, Sophie Cal, And I think there's a bomber in it that goes around blowing stuff up in a way that reminds me of the Unabomber. But it's been years since I read it, so... Um. Probably... I'm seeing right now that that was uh, by Viking Press. I like them, actually, a lot. Uh, see, everything I've got is published by Faber here in the UK, who are really? the kind of big indie. So they're indie in the sense that they're not Random House, but they're huge. Like um, The weird thing in uh, the States is uh, Random House kind of owns everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so... It's hard to escape from them, but you got to appreciate some of the larger novels. I feel right now everything that's getting published by larger presses are like celebrity memoirs and such. Yeah. But I mean, I someone put a tweet up the other day that was like which publisher do you have the most books of in your bookshelf? And people were doing shout-outs for their favorite small presses, which is great because it's a nice way to advertise. But I looked at my bookshelf and there was like it's probably Penguin or Vintage. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, I've got loads of lazy fascist books from when I bought everything Sam wrote, and I've got almost everything from House of Vlad. But almost everything from House of Vlad is nothing compared to the tiny percentage of Penguin that I have. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> I don't know. I, no, I am right there with you, looking back at my bookshelf, which is directly behind me. It's all... uh Random House, Penguin, stuff like that. It's because I read a lot of nonfiction. Yeah. You know, because of the major and everything. And I'm also just obsessed with like biographies. So Yeah, that's cool. So what what I feel what like philosophy that would disappoint people. 
<laughs> disappoint people i feel like people who are disappointed in that have some kind of idea of what they should be rather than what they actually do i don't know yeah I, i've noticed that a lot of people who speak to me believe that i'm already like at a level of uh understanding the literary world much higher than they do and i think it's because they really place Maldon house pretty high up which i like I, and i think you do but... a really good thing like in terms of physical books, I think actually the only Morden House book I have is Bud's book. I think. Uh, Double Bird. Yeah. That's cool. I'm trying to. I'm. I'm, I'm um, trying to scan, but I. Th- I think. I'm probably wrong. There's probably someone I'm missing, and I'm going to feel bad at the end of this podcast. But I know I've got. It is totally. Fine. <laughs> I know I've got Double Bird, and I know you did that. So. Um, I know the shipping costs quite a bit and i think that that's a little prohibitive when people from out of the states yeah buy from us so yeah yeah it's it's tricky and 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 uh, actually i have that problem with almost all of the small presses except the ones who distribute <laughs> on amazon i guess but um we actually just began uh we do ingram oh, and yeah. they do amazon yeah. now so it should be easier i mean the authors get more money if you buy direct from the presses, but you can get it easier at Amazon. I hate saying that, but <laughs> they win. Yeah, it's they won. It's really with with the international stuff. It, it's tricky. I went to New York a couple winters ago and splurged and bought a bunch of books from places where I knew I'd have to pay loads in shipping. Like, um, that's what I would do. Yeah, it was great. Like. I um I went to um oh, what's the name the really famous is it the Strand is that what it's called it's like know. a red logo with white writing oh, I don't know anyway um enormous and I got so many books it was amazing because they do second hand ones there as well so so they're like mm-hmm. a third of the cost it was good I'm feeling self conscious I haven't talked about music it's obviously your podcast so you're in control but. No, it's totally cool. No, I'm actually, I want people on this podcast to kind of like, kind of segue into whatever they feel is like, kind of like, God, I'm trying to figure out what flows best with them. Because I mean, I feel like music and writing and everything, it's all very intertwined and eventually you will get there naturally, Mm. but you know, you just got to like vent a little (laughs) bit first. I was, I was thinking about, um, because because obviously I I knew the podcast was happening, so it's been in the back of my mind, and I was trying to think of. God, can you imagine if you didn't know the podcast was happening? <laughs> Just Albert, I I think I'd be I think I'd be okay. I don't think I'd be any less functional than I am right now. But maybe that just says about how little I prepared. Um, I was <laughs> I was trying to think about the difference in my. Um, like processing or or like my relationship between my emotions and music and literature because they're both super important um from the point of view of music i have music on all the time and i obviously can't read all Mm -hmm. the time because just of the, the way that we relate to the medium i guess but i was also trying to kind of untangle so i spent 15 years writing music and then all of a sudden I started writing poems and it made more sense and it stuck 
And I think um, I think I still use music as a way to experience my emotions. Is I mm. think I think that's kind of what I got to. This idea that I was thinking about the different genres of music I listened to in case I needed to talk about one of them or artists that I like. And and the kind of general feeling is that all of the things that I was looking at felt complementary. They felt like things that I'd search out to amplify or maybe change a mood even. Um, but then when it comes... Music hmm? imbues emotion so much. So Yeah, yeah exactly. And, and so there's like... Um, and I also... There's some particularly kind of maybe loud or heavy or chaotic music that I also use as a kind of suppressant, this kind of idea that it helps me focus the more is going on. So, But then, then I was thinking about writing and I was thinking it's almost the opposite space where I might use writing to try and understand something that feels unknown um, and med- mm-hmm. meditate on some kind of experience I've just had and why I acted that way or why I didn't act the way that I was planning to act. Um, this kind of uh, okay. space of a question. And I think it's interesting. I don't. I can't ever imagine myself putting on an album to try and figure out how I feel. I feel like the music takes too much control, but but the writing really gives you that space to move around in. Um, Definitely. I know when you and I spoke on Twitter briefly, and I was trying to get a vibe for your music tastes. <laughs> I would say, from what I gathered, you're quite a generalist. Uh, are you immediately looking it up? I, 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 I've got a couple written down because I, 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 I didn't want to. Um, <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't want to cool. waste. <laughs> I didn't want to waste time thinking. So I thought I'd do all the thinking, and then it's all ready. Yeah, I have an iPad and iPhone in front of me with notes. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, I um, yeah. I guess I feel like. I don't know. I, 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 I used to be so fixed. I used to only listen to really heavy music and, and really the only thing that would change month to month is that I get used to how heavy something was and need to find something heavier. Um, so I don't know. I remember I was like, when you say heavy, uh, can you give a little, yeah. So I don't know to kind of do, do a jump over like, I don't know. I guess my teenage years, I'd start with, um, yeah, I don't know. So, so my parents got divorced at when I was nine and I definitely mm-hmm. found heavy music as a way to deal with feeling upset about everything. But the music there was like, I think Slipknot's first album had come out. So I was super into that. Um, and at the time there was this understanding that if you like Slipknot, you couldn't like corn. So I didn't like corn for like three years until I realized I was allowed to like both. <laughs> I had the same thing with Marilyn Manson and Nine Inch Nails. Like I liked Marilyn Manson and my friend liked Nine Inch Nails. So I didn't like Nine Inch nah. Nails. And then Nine Inch Nails. Yeah. So now I, although I saw them live a while back and they were horrible. So. Oh no. So speaking of horrible, yeah. I saw Placebo live. Um, Holly got me a ticket mm-hmm. and it, I, I still like Placebo. I was super excited. And um, I can't remember his name. 
what's the name of the lead guy? Anyway, he he had a cold and he couldn't sing. Um, but rather than cancel the show or have someone sing for him, he just sang like a monotone vocal melody through every song, which was like, it was like watching the world's worst cover band. It was super strange. Um. <laughs> that's, that's kind of like what, say, Nine Inch Nails was like and Blink-182 last year. It was because there were sound problems. It's not like yeah. it was their fault exactly. It's just there is something wrong with the space and the amplifiers and they did their best, but yeah. I even remember seeing Blink-182 last year and I could actually hear the people around me singing better than I could hear the <laughs> band. Like I just hear drunk people trying to do all the small things and I'm like, I barely see the band, but I don't hear them at all. Oh dear. The new Nine Inch Nail album, um, the Ghosts, uh, what, five to eight or whatever, they were really good. They just came out. Um, I feel like Nine Inch Nails has been trying to uh, make a comeback to a certain degree. Do you like Twin Peaks? So um, I really liked the first... I can't... uh, N episodes. Like up until about halfway through season two. I thought Twin Peaks was great and really, really liked it. And then season two kept dragging and I never even got to the end and I haven't seen the new one. And um, I um, I think Lynch is great. I'd say most people land that way. <laughs> I mean, what happened with the second season is, uh, if I'm getting this right, is that David Lynch took a very heavy step back because he didn't like the way that the networks were handling things. And he only came back for the last episode. Uh-huh. So, okay. That's if that's the story, I, I hope I'm getting it right. But in the third thing, the return or the third season, whatever like people like to call it, Nine Inch Nails, they uh, made an appearance. Oh, wow. And it was really cool. <laughs> yeah, I was like, where the fuck did they come from? But yeah. Did they do the music for it? They were playing a concert. Uh, yeah. Um, there was a very odd thing at the end of every single episode of that season. They had a musical performance. Oh, wow. It was supposed to be at the Roadhouse. Um, If you ask me to interpret what that means, given time, I could maybe do it. But right now, I I, I don't know. I couldn't tell you who's dead or alive or what a Tulpa or a Judy is, but (laughs) that's David Lynch. Yeah. I actually. But it happened around the same time that it seemed like Nine Inch Nails was trying to make a push to come back they had it i can't remember the name of it they had a really good ep come out fairly recently that had i'd say some kind of jazz influence on it that moved away from the kind of industrial electronic stuff i thought it was really good and then the ghost ones yeah. which are ambient which are nice to work to um i i, I mean they've definitely lasted better than Marilyn manson who i don't think has produced something good for like 14 years now or something. Marilyn Manson, to me, God, I, I might upset you. He was just a flash in a pan <laughs> for me. I He was my hero for a bit, and I read his biography like five times, and I just thought he was the coolest guy. Um, I didn't even know he had a bio. Maybe I'll have to read that. Maybe it'll make me respect him more. I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, because I was a teenager when I read it, so... I I I, uh, I don't know. Can't trust you. Then. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't trust me. I was I was um, I was 
full-on experiencing the complications of teenage hormones that I don't take any responsibility for my behavior back then. Um, but yes. I mean, let's face it, that is the right mind frame to enjoy. Yeah, yeah. Marilyn Manson. So yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I, I don't I don't think it was like I still put on his albums every now and again for the nostalgic. I mean, this is a thing like We all do. Slipknot put out a new album recently and I didn't particularly like it. Did they really? Yeah, they're still going amazing. Oh shit. But I was listening to it and it and it's impossible. Like, is it worse than the albums that I liked? Or is it exactly the same, but I can't enjoy any of the nostalgic value of it anymore? It's it's complicated, right? Um, it really is. It's because you attach music to a certain time and then your brain kind of grows out of it. <laughs> yeah, right. And then you can't decide, was it that great anymore? Or if I evolved, did the music change? Who knows? I, I think the same could be said about literature. So like... I don't know, take, take Nausea, for example, which is a book that had a huge impact on me when I first read it. Or if we want to use Camus, say The Plague. But I mm-hmm. think that's my favourite Camus. Um, they're really good, and I love them. But I read them from a perspective of not having read that much. And so now, now when I read a new book, I have to read it within the context of everything that I've read already. And so part of me feels like there probably won't be books that I love in the way that I loved books 10 years ago. And mm-hmm. I don't know, like I was reading Beatrice by Stephen Dixon over the weekend. And there's this um, scene where the character Beatrice asks the character who is pretty much Stephen Dixon, but has a different name, um, his kind of relationship to reading Um because he says he reads all the time, but he doesn't particularly like any of the things that he reads. This idea that he always sees things which could be improved or or whatever. I heavily relate to that. <laughs> and and I think recently it's it there's been this um when you experience something which has been made, there's an interesting place of deciding whether what you're experiencing is um is mutable in the sense that so when when zach sends me a story that he's written and he's asking me what i think could happen next Mm -hmm. or do i think it's finished or how does the ending feel i'll be reading the and for the listeners specify who zach is so zach smith author of 50 barn poems is um is what is he he is part of the the what is he is he human (laughs) is he sentient someone described him as my writing partner the other day i like that um you two definitely do seem like a duo (laughs) so yeah i should hit him up for the next one 100 and he has an amazing relationship with music too in fact me and zach know each other because of music but rather than writing oh really yeah i um I messaged him because I had listened to his band Three Trucks and enjoyed it and wanted to tell him that I liked it. And he was aware of me because of the music I had written with Sam. So, um, God, I'm sorry. Like it just it keeps shocking me how many writers who I talked to I didn't know have bands or had bands. I was talking to uh, Joshua Bonsack. I don't know if you know him. 
he was even telling me that he was in a band. I was like, what? <laughs> Where are you guys having all the time to do this? I, I, I was joking the other day that I think all poets are just failed musicians. But <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've spoken with Bud about this because Bud was in a band before he started writing as well. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder whether... I don't know. I, I still have friends who... I think it goes hand in hand with poetry and... Uh... Music. Are are you into Bikini Kill? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I just keep thinking of this uh, one point that uh, Kathleen Hanna said where she was a spoken word uh, poet mm. at first, and then she met Kathy Acker, and Kathy Acker was like, why are you even bothering with this? No one wants to hear you do that. <laughs> Become a rock star instead. <laughs> Force them to listen to you. And it seems like the rest of us have kind of like done the polar opposite. So yeah, well, maybe maybe after realizing no one no one was listening, it's easier to stop trying to make people listen and do something silent instead. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I I think yeah. So so Zach Smith is um is a writer now, but I know him as a musician and um oh yeah. So when I read I one, immediately going to message him after this. <laughs> yeah, no, one hundred percent. Um, he wrote a linguistic paper on shoegaze band names back when he was an academic. Um, oh, that is fantastic. Or maybe it was about... Sorry, it's like we were just talking about shoegaze music a while back in the last podcast, actually. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, maybe, maybe just delete this recording and ring Zach, Zach up and no. <laughs> have that conversation. Um, but yeah, to go, to go back to the, the point, when I'm reading Zach's writing, the, it's like the clay is wet. There's this idea that I could say, I think this word could change, or you could add something here, and and the writing becomes dynamic. Um, and the further mm-hmm. back you go, I think, I don't know, so pick up an old copy of Dostoevsky. I don't think I'm in that same place. I'm not reading it thinking, I wonder what would have happened if he had made the character have an argument here. Or what happens if instead of the room being dark, there's a flash of lightning or whatever, some kind of mm-hmm. classical variant to, to whatever's happening. Um, but in the same way, you could view it like that, right? It's still just as changeable as anything that we read currently. If you're, and, and it, and it comes to this point, I guess of, of, um, I don't know the the relationship you have with how finished you expect something to be. I don't know. Like, I think it's interesting as you move out of history and into a literature scene which is primarily focused on reading something that was maybe written a week ago or three months ago, right? Like. Mm-hmm most of these most of these literature sites are publishing pretty quick yeah there definitely is a quick turnaround on writing these days same could be said though with the music <laughs> yeah apparently. for sure for sure um what do you think of this okay i'm totally going to butcher this i can't remember if this is the proper uh quote it's a uh, jean-michel biscott Basquai, I'm sorry, I fucking <laughs> am so horrible at pronouncing un-American names. <laughs> Except yours, I got that. Yeah, yeah. Well uh, literature is how we decorate space, music is how we decorate time. 
That's cool. How do you feel about that? Uh, do you agree with that theory or? Uh, do I agree with the theory? Um, so I think it's interesting from his point of view because a lot of his canvases have the white space filled with words. Mm-hmm. So like if I think I've got one of his paintings as a postcard on my wall somewhere, but I can't see it from where I'm sat. He's got... Um, Please say his name properly for me. I don't, I don't know if I can. Um, it's, probably, <laughs> it's probably something like Basquiat, I imagine. Yeah, Basquiat. But I, it's probably right. I might be wrong. I, I definitely... I definitely. I know Jean-Michel. <laughs> I, I, that's proper. <laughs> yes. It's that last name that got me. Um, yeah, so, so he uses words within the canvas as a way of creating or, or working with space, which is interesting to hear that quote within the context of what he writes. Um, and music obviously can only exist within time again. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking about, yeah, I, I think part of how I'm processing this is I'm thinking about, so I was reading your points of the interview and you were saying that, um, part of it would include me reading and I was thinking about my poems and I was thinking how I don't really understand how my poems can exist within a red context almost as though I feel there's something emergent within a poem that Mm. you don't get when it's read in one go and obviously, Definitely. I'm not asking someone who listens to this podcast to listen to me read a poem five times to get it. And I and I don't I don't even mean that you have to listen five times for it to make sense. I guess it's more this feeling of, for me, a good poem is a poem that breaks me off, and I might read it partially, and it takes me somewhere and makes me start thinking about things and and it's that processing time that you, that you need that you you mm-hmm. can't and so maybe maybe this kind of space filling notion is that the writing is more like um it's more like a sign of pointing you towards some kind of place to think about it's not something that you experience within the sentence and then it stops happening. Um, Mm -hmm. But if I, if I put on some, I don't know, let's say I put on some kind of big techno track by I hate models and it's like really loud and there's loads of bass and I'm feeling really driven by it. As soon as the music gets turned off, all of the momentum that's been built by the song dissipates super quickly. Like, you don't keep dancing to music which has been turned off. Think about the end of a club night, all the lights come on, you're shocked about who you've decided to dance with in the full lights. All and... the velocity stops. Right, right. But it, but if you read a book or a short story, mm. I don't know, someone like Troy James Weaver is a is a writer I deeply respect and he writes these incredibly powerful short stories. And you read one of his stories and the whole way that, the whole time through the story, there's a momentum that pulls you through to the end. But it's that space after the end of the story, that space where you really live within what you've experienced. And I think that's 
the difference. Literature creates this kind of place to be in after the moment. And and there's no termination in the same way. You can read a sentence that can stay with you all day, right? It, mm-hmm. I think I think in that sense there's a there's a persistence to the places literature can take you that I think music needs kind of constant thing. And and I guess that would be one way to interpret the difference between the temporal feeling of music, this kind of, this is happening now and this is where you're going to be and um, what it means to be experiencing writing that connects with you. Obviously writing that doesn't connect with you, you can hear once or a thousand times and it doesn't take you anywhere. Um, <laughs> so, so you have to, you have to limit yours, but then music's probably the same, right? Like I was joking with Kevin yesterday about eighties music and I just, I can't deal with the super happy synths and sax solos and chorus <laughs> and vocal melodies and stuff. Um, Oh, that seems to be making a huge comeback right now. Yeah, so. yeah it's super popular, but you know, anyway. Um, I mean, producers like Jack Antonoff and everybody throwing heavy synths into everybody's music. So. Yeah, yeah, and, and there are there are bands like I don't know whether they're a big deal in the states actually, but there's a band called the 1975. Oh, know them? Yeah. yeah, so they wouldn't exist without the 80s for sure. Um, the major mm-hmm. seventh chords and happy melodies. I don't know. I've always liked melancholic music, and the eighties feels like the antithesis mm-hmm. of that for me. So, yeah, I, I would kind of define that almost as like sad boy music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I am. In, in, oh, I'm into it too. In, in, yeah. in my list of writing of things that I thought I should talk about, I've got sad boy music written, which which actually is predominantly filled by female artists, but. I think I think it's Ooh. because it makes me feel like a sad boy rather than because it's made by sad boys. Please disclose. I'd love to hear. Um, let me let me. I've got to type again. And, and don't worry. And I have a playlist called Sad Boy Music. <laughs> I even have Billie Eilish in uh, it. So yeah, I mean, I, I I think if it puts you in that sad space, then <laughs> what have I got in here then? Ah. Um, uh, I don't know what am I looking at. So um, I'm kind of swinging in between wanting to just say things that people will know. So they'll be like, oh, yeah, Jack listens to music that we like. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I remember listening to Mitski because Noah Cicero wrote about listening to Mitski in his car. And I've been stuck on her ever since. I saw her perform live in Brooklyn last winter. Maybe it was the winter before that, considering mm. how this year's gone. I can't remember. But she's incredible. Like, if you ever get the chance to see her live, I think that was one of the... I would love to. That was one of my greatest music experiences. She's just... I'm waiting for concerts to come back, and then I'll be yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, of course. But she's she's super good. Um, there's a... I love her music videos. Yeah, <laughs> I haven't seen any... I've only seen her like uh, Audio Tree Live or Tiny Desk performances mm-hmm. and, and stuff. I like Tiny Desk performances. Yeah, they're super. So what else is on your sad boy music? Um, so not not a lady, but do you know Current Joys? No. Uh, see, so I, um, 
Have you ever written? Definitely send me links to some oh, of the yeah. stuff later. Too. I should make a I should make a playlist or something. Oh, but I'll definitely send you some links. Um, have you ever written music before? No, no, not me. I tried learning guitar with uh, my first boyfriend, and he was just like, "You're really good at writing. You should just <laughs> stick to that." And I was just like, yeah, okay, we're going to break up now. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that feels like a backhanded compliment. Um, but, yeah. but anyway, when I, when I first heard Current Joys, I felt like I was listening to the music that I would write if I could be bothered to still write music. It was such a weird feeling. Every note mm-hmm. he picked and every chord and the whole thing, I was like, that's exactly what I'd want to do, but I just haven't done it. Um, but... Yeah, I, I'm I'm a I'm a super fan of that. And then and then on the flip side, I'm gonna I'm gonna go a bit left field with my sad boy music. And my other favorite sad boy thing is super sad cello music. I think cello sonatas mm. are my ultimate melancholy. Um, and there's a Hungarian composer called Legiti who wrote a two piece cello sonata, which I think is one of the most beautiful pieces of music ever written and listening to it is like instant somber meditative sad boy space which which i really like um now would you listen to this all in one sitting or do you mix it up and be like today i'm listening to this genre or this genre or do you go by mood i definitely don't go by genre i do the slightly more dysfunctional thing of having uh the on repeat arrow turned on on my itunes and i will often listen to the same album like 15 times in a row before i realize what i've done um which is fine when i'm on I my do that on Spotify. <laughs> so when holly's home sometimes she'll like come into the room i'm in and she's like jack you have to stop like you've listened to this album <laughs> all day and i haven't even realized that i was doing it but um so that so- see i feel like the best writers really allow like music to just kind of like take up their mind until they actually start writing i think i because i was trying to think if there was like a go-to album for when i'm writing and there definitely isn't but i do feel like i tend towards music that either has no lyrics or has so much shouting and screaming that you can't hear the lyrics um, almost like you have to combat it, it yeah or, or just or just like if I, I guess if i'm trying to find a word and i've got someone mm. singing words into my ears it's a bit like no not that one stop it i'm trying to concentrate <laughs> but like i don't know if i have something like throats or throws or i don't know the new end album is incredible and super heavy but i don't know what they're saying at all so that mm. so by that point although i know that technically they're words i don't experience them as words and so i don't find that they take up the same space Mm -hmm. um no i i do that a little bit during writing i'll do it where i just kind of like keep listening to the intro of a song (laughs) before they actually start singing (laughs) and i'll just stop it and restart it and just do that on repeat for a while what 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 do you have like certain artists that you listen to when you're like i want to get some writing done today me uh I don't know. I'm not sure if I really have a go-to writing playlist, but I don't know. Let's see what I got. I have stuff on my phone. 
I have a bunch of Spotify playlists. Yeah, I'm stuff that I send friends and let's see. I even have one called Witchy Vibes. <laughs> God, I need to like Uh Yeah, I do kind of a little bit more uh Temper Trap, Vampire Weekend, uh Faces, throw in some Pixies in there and I had Bell and Sebastian. Oh, okay. I I had my first Pixies um like I hadn't listened to them in ages and the house opposite started playing I can't even remember which track it was and I was like holy shit the pixies I like totally forgot about them for like 10 years of my life and then put them on for the rest <laughs> of the day so that was pretty cool um I love it but really I mean I have so many different playlists that like none of them make sense I mean I have one like get ready for the high life <laughs> stuck in your head sad boy hours one is literally just called angst. <laughs> speaking of... It just depends on what I'm trying to write or where I'm feeling. Speaking of sad boy, the saddest music, I don't know if you know, but have you listened to Mount Erie? Yeah. So so Mount Erie is is the... Um, that feels like the atom bomb of sad music. Um, really? Yeah. Yeah. The, what's the, the album he wrote after his wife died? about the crow um look it up let's see who gets it first it's be you because i'm spelling everything wrong <laughs> oh a crow looked at me that okay. that album is just like i i feel like sometimes you listen to music and it's like oh yeah this was obviously a sad album and it's hard to listen to but like this and the um the Nick Cave album he did after his son died. Those two albums you listen to, and it's just like mm-hmm. totally devastating, like incredible. But on the opposite end of of sad boy music, I like I think bands like Elvis Presley or Johnny Goth or Teen Suicide, these kind of like band camp sad boys stuck in a room with a four track recorder singing about how they're sad because they got dumped on Twitter or whatever. Um, <laughs> and I think that's an important sadness too. I mean, I think that's what I, I write about more than more than life ending sadness. But um Yeah. I, Do you wanna share anything you wrote before we wrap up? Um anything at all. <laughs> or you could just plug the book. It doesn't matter. Yeah, so so I have a book that I write called Chainsaw Poems and Other Poems. Um Ghost City Press have published it for me. I worked with Kevin, who has been really sweet and encouraging. Um, mm-hmm. I sent him, I think, like 15 poems as a chapbook. And he was like, have you got any more? And I sent him like 10 more. And then we decided that it was going to be like that. And he said, how about we make it a full book? And then I ended up writing like 20 more poems. And, and now it's like a like a proper, legit book. And he's printed it and... I think a couple people now have copies. Um, mine are somewhere over the Atlantic still. But it's super exciting. I know you gave me the PDF. I liked it a lot. <laughs> I, I, I'm I actually really touched by how many people have said nice things about it. I um... Well, you're never going to have anybody who says bad things about it to you. <laughs> no, but, I, you know, obviously people can say nothing. And actually, if, true. if someone... If someone got on the internet and said, I tried reading it and I thought it was garbage. I'm not sure I'd feel upset. Um, I f- See, that would devastate me. <laughs> I I mean, 
It would depend who I it would was. crawl under my desk and put on the angst playlist. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the angst playlist is for. Yeah. I I I um I've had your book for ages now. I remember getting it from I can't I can't even remember. I think it was one of those books I bought because I like the title. And generally when I do that I then also like the book. Which too. one was it? The um one on expat, the I want to I feel want to happy, feel happy but, but I only feel, feel. I've got it right here. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so I I um I I don't know. I think I had a really hard time thinking about my book when I was finishing it because I think I'd rather talk about this than read a poem from the book. I I had this I, I have this <laughs> feeling of um so the books which are most important to me are books which have helped me understand something. It doesn't always have to be very complicated. Mm-hmm. I, I, to use a um, neutral choice that doesn't show preference to any, any of my friends. Um, John Steinbeck wrote East of Eden. And I remember when I read it, it taught me so much about my relationship with my brother. Um, and mm-hmm. I finished it and I sent him a long message. And it just put into context a lot of things. I'm super close with Luke. He's an incredibly good and kind person. But I think it helped me understand my relationship with him. It, I'm not sure it made the relationship better, but it, there was definitely a kind of a eureka moment, I guess, while reading it. And, and I think these, that, that, that is what I'm looking for when I'm reading, in general, this kind of trying to understand my place within the world and i guess that's what i was trying to do with my own poetry but the 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 problem is is when i read someone else's book about feeling alienated and sad or lonely or misunderstood it helps me feel less sad and less lonely because i'm like hey i'm not the only person who finds all of this incredibly complicated um Life is it's like we're a giant support group. <laughs> yeah, right. But then, then I was there with my book, and I'm reading this book about feeling sad and lonely and isolated and separate from the world around me, and I'm not feeling soothed by it. I don't feel more understood because it's my book. <laughs> so I'm there reading a poem about how I feel external from the world around me, and I don't know what to do about it. And I'm not getting any of the usual kind of um, benefits. I'm just kind of experiencing my own struggles. And and one day I just suddenly realized I was never going to like my book like I like other people's because my book can never mm-hmm. do for me what I'm looking for in a book. And I kind of have to just hope that maybe someone else who's not me will read this book and go, oh, man, I totally feel those things too and it's okay because there's this dude over in the uk who has this problem too even though our lives are completely different and um Mm -hmm. so i I don't know it like you you write these books and they exist and maybe some people will read them but i I don't know i don't know what it means really um i mean i feel like it's a way of reaching out i mean as a writer myself 
I too will never get the same satisfaction that other people will get from reading my work. Mm. Cause it, it's just your raw emotions, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, how could you ever feel really great about like your shittiest of times, you know? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But for other people, it's just kind of amazing to be like, Oh, not alone. Or I totally get this. So this helps soothe me through my issue. And I'm like, good for you. <laughs> I, I I don't know what we're we doing, but I I also think um it's just good to do it, and I think the publishing is sometimes just a way to help you stop editing. Um, so you you mentioned that I've had some poems put up online and stuff, and I think my main motivation for sending them out has always been relief this idea that okay i'm done with this i'm going to send it into someone's email and Mm -hmm. whether or not they say yes or no i can't keep working on this because the poem's finished (laughs) um and and that's important um i think you're putting it in someone else's hands yeah exactly (laughs) yeah yeah you're like hey I'm, i'm done if you like this that's really nice we can we can publish it and if it's not right then maybe i'll send it to someone else or i'll just let it sit in this document and see if something happens with it. Something. Yeah. I don't know. Why, I take that. Why do we do what we do? <laughs> <laughs> that is what therapists are made for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Actually, I, um, I told my therapist I had a book coming out and he said he was going to buy it. So that would be interesting. Maybe we'll have a session about my book. Um, I actually wrote that first book, uh, I Want to Feel Happy, But I Only Feel Blank, because my therapist told me that they thought I was better at expressing my emotions via writing than speaking. So <laughs> that was just a therapy exercise. And I was like, hey, this actually sounds pretty all right. Described. Yeah. And hell, even the one piece that just got accepted by Hobart, that was under duress my therapist was like, I'm just going to sit here and watch you submit it so you can't keep talking about it anymore. <laughs> your therapist is your best agent. She really is. <laughs> you know, she has a daughter who's an influencer, and I just be like, I know how she got to where she's at. <laughs> All that support. Yeah, it's just one of those, I'm going to make you work hard. God, can you imagine being an influencer? Imagine, imagine that. Like, I thought it was bad enough having to tell people I was a mathematician, but... Imagine meeting someone at a party and them asking you what you do during the day and you have to tell people you're an influencer. You know, it's a very different... uh, I'm trying to figure out, like, the context of it in America is very different than it is in other countries. I did a fellowship uh, a while back. That's why I kind of put Malden House on uh, hold. And one of my favorite people I met during that time uh, was a Chinese student named Xi. And he was saying how profoundly different uh, Chinese people are than Americans. And I was like, oh, is it because we're individualistic assholes? He's like, okay, other things. (laughs) (laughs) But everyone he had ever spoken to, what they wanted to do in life was kind of like mathematician, engineer, be an astronaut, something very uh, meaningful. But anytime he spoke to an American and what we wanted to do was... We want to become famous. <laughs> we want to be an influencer. We want to be a blogger. Like, so that that definitely is 
pretty common here. You will not get as much uh, disgust. In fact, you'll actually meet other influencers or wannabe influencers. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I... I don't think I know any. Everybody likes to pretend that they are. I'm not quite sure where the threshold is when you actually are one. <laughs> yeah, at what point do you actually have influence? Um, yeah. I don't know. Not yet. But... But okay. I don't know. Anything else you want to say before we wrap up? Um, Thank you for chatting. It's nice. It's nice to think about these (laughs) things and have. um, It has been nice. You know what would be really great for me to post along with the podcast? You should make a playlist. Yeah. Should I do Spotify? I I use Apple Music. Yes. Is it just just another way for me to be different from everybody else? But I can do one on Spotify. Just as Steve Jobs says, think different. But, no, <laughs> yeah, think different. Not with, anymore. With my iPhone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll, ma- I'll make a playlist because okay. I feel like um, listening to music is better than listening to someone talk about music. Um, That's great. No, awesome. Thank you. Okay. I, I think it's... Um, I think the nicest thing about things like this is having a relaxed space to talk about writing and writers and you know obviously we haven't met and we're from different countries but the the small bubble of modern house and neutral spaces and i don't know i feel like you can talk about people with just using their first names and within the context you know who that is i think that's nice mm-hmm. i like that definitely i hope we actually meet in real life at some point yeah if i'm ever allowed to leave the house we'll see hell <laughs> if we're ever allowed to go with just- anywhere other than america yeah i have a dream of doing a neutral spaces reading one day that that would be i would so attend it it'd be cool and it would be really nice to use it as an opportunity for um avatars to become people and obviously we can all be really awkward together and do the reading thing a couple years back uh catch business she, for I think it's two or three years in a row, she held a catch fest and everyone actually traveled to Denver. Oh, wow. To like do a kind of mini literary festival with her. It'd be cool if you did something like that over by you. I would go. I'd buy a ticket. Yeah, well, I think I think my feeling was admitting defeat that I have planted myself within America and organizing it in the States. Um, I don't know. I feel, I feel, mm-hmm. I feel like doing something like I know um I know John does stuff with New York Tyrant with his readings and stuff. I feel like um sending him an obnoxious tweet and making him organize something with neutral spaces for a reading in New York one day or something. Um That'd be really cool. Bullying Zach to come down from Boston so I can meet him properly. Um Well hopefully we can all do that. Yeah, yeah, just you know, we gotta eradicate the global pandemic and then I've gotta book some days of holiday. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really waiting for America to get its shit together. I mean, I could barely leave the house and I've already had it. Yeah. Oh my God, is it snowing outside? Okay, my state is crazy right now. It is snowing. Are you, you in Chicago? Yeah. Cool. I'm just looking out the window and I was like, oh, I thought it felt cool. <laughs> yeah, it's winter now. It's okay because okay, we had such an adventurous and fun summer. um our whole summer was waiting oh yeah like is it over but no ours 
country really mishandled stuff. So mm, it's, it's, we did a similar thing here. We're, oh, I don't know. I'm not. I'm, I don't want to end the podcast with with COVID grievances. I feel happy to have had a nice chat, and we're not going to fix the yeah. pandemic together. So, um, no. Thank you, Mallory. All right. Have a good you one. Too. Bye. Bye.